Perception. Perception is reality. Reality. Perception is reality. Reality. Some talk shows think all of their opinions are right. This one, this one knows they are. This is Perception is Reality. Christopher H. Bilbury is a no-nonsense, well, maybe a little bit of nonsense, political activist, local government watchdog, and all-around good Hoosier and God-fearing American citizen. Is this guy for real? Holding lawmakers accountable and educating citizens on the importance of participating in their local government with a dab of national and world politics and a little pop culture and maybe some real-life common sense. This, this is, is Perception is Reality. And this is Christopher H. Bilbrey. Well, thank you, Monty, for that amazing intro. You know, folks, I have to say, I have some of the most wonderful staff here at the podcast. From Monty, the announcer, to producers Kate and Niles. I am so lucky, and that luck is then passed on to you. Welcome to this 81st episode of the Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey audio podcast. I am your always correct, always funny, of course, always sexy, and as you can hear, always humble host. Also, if you haven't heard, I'm the newly named... CDC Master of Disaster. That's right. The Center for Disease Control came all the way to Indiana to name me the Master of Disaster due to my handling of the recent non-announcement announcement of the coronavirus lockdown of the Urgent Care Center. And I'm sure that you know exactly what I'm talking about if you've been on my social media. It was, and it wasn't, and it was, and then it turned out to be an actual thing, even if it had to be cut, pasted, and edited together, you know it's true. Don't ever let the truth and facts get in the way of a really good story, even more so when that story can discredit me, your humble host. I want to say quickly to those of you that have been here for a while, thank you for the time that you give me coming back each episode time and time again. Thank you very much. For those of you that have just recently started tuning in, welcome, and I I hope that you like what you hear, and I hope that you decide to stick around, and moreover, I hope that you decide to try and bring new listeners to the podcast. I'm going to ask all of you, new and old fans, friends, enemies alike, to do your part to help bring listeners to the podcast, to this platform. Please do your part to share by social media and word of mouth this podcast as a whole, but specifically the direct links to each episode. So, like for example, you can share a home link to all of the podcast episodes, but each individual episode, including this one, will have its own direct link, 
and it helps when you share that specifically on your social media. New episodes are released on Tuesdays and Saturdays, and as always, the old episodes are always available and always free for folks to go back and listen to at their leisure or binge or however you so choose to listen to podcasts. We can be found on all major podcast hosting sites, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and about a thousand more. You can find us everywhere simply by searching Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Along with that, don't forget the home link of perception.fireside.fm. That's perception.fireside.fm where you can find all of our episodes as well. We are also on social media at facebook.com forward slash bilbrey318. That's B-I-L-B-R-E-Y 318. And there I release live video episodes from time to time. You can also call or text the show at 765-546-9796. Okay, so getting into this episode, I want to dial it down just a little bit because we're going to have to show this topic the respect and reverence that this topic will absolutely require. So in just a little bit, I'm going to bring on a special guest via the phone who will be recounting the life and the unfortunate death of her brother. For those of you in the east-central Indiana area, you may recall back in May of 2019, May 20th to be exact, a story broke in the local news about an unidentified man who was found deceased in the Muncie Sanitary District Wastewater Treatment Facility. He had actually washed in from the sewer system on a conveyor belt and was unidentified. In quick order, that man was found to be Michael Coates, and his family was quickly notified. Well, here we are at the time of this recording, almost, you know, a year, 10 months Later, and the family still doesn't have answers. Michael Coates, the victim, still doesn't have justice. And although I don't really like the word closure, we will say these people affected by this have not been able to start a healing process because his death is still a mystery. There is no answers We have no one in custody. Nobody has been charged. And the one thing that we are sure of is Michael didn't put himself in the sewer system. And so we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be joined on the phone by Teresa Dodd, the sister of Michael Coates. She is going to talk with us about her brother, his life, and what little they know of his death. And we're going to try to keep this in people's minds. Here we are almost a year out, and there still are no answers. And here's what's important to know about situations like this. There is people out there right now, and very likely people who will listen to this, 
that have information. And so it's important for you to know if you have information, however small you think it might be, you need to get in contact with somebody and let them know because you might hold the key. And so if you hear anything today that jogs your memory or that might make you think about something, you will want to contact the Muncie City Police Department at 765-747-4867 or Crime Stoppers at 765-286-4050. Don't be the person that holds this investigation up just because you think, well, they already know that, or a thousand other people have already told them. If you know something, you must say something. You're listening to the 81st episode of Perception is Reality. I'm Christopher H. Bilbrey, and this is Perception is Reality. We'll be right back. Hey, Kevin, thinking about saving for retirement? Yeah, but how do I start? It's easy with Avo, a retirement coach. Let's learn the Avo bet. For taking action. Not anxiety? No, Kevin, you're gonna be fine. You sick? Barely. V is for variety. Huh. Change up my strategy. Okay. Pose for optimize your savings. Let Avo lead the way. Visit aceyourretirement.org today. today. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Now we go on the record with a one-on-one interview designed to engage, entertain, or enrage you. Perception is reality. On the record. All right. Welcome back to this 81st episode of Perception is Reality. We are currently joined on the phone by Teresa Dodd. Teresa, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So let's get right into this. You are Michael's older sister, which means he's the quote-unquote baby brother. So tell us a little bit about Michael growing up. There was eight of us. He was the youngest. He was the baby. Of course, he uh, he got by with everything because he was the baby. <laughs> <laughs> he loved riding his bike. I remember him riding his bike down the sidewalk. He liked to tease around with his sisters. He liked to pick on us. <laughs> right. Did you guys grow up in Muncie? Yes, we did. We grew up in Muncie. Okay. Actually, we grew up on a house right here on Willard Street, and he lived there as he was older. And they just recently tore it down, but that was where most of our childhood memories were. Okay, okay. And so you guys attended what school system? We attended Southview. Okay. You guys are, are how far apart in age? I am five and a half years older than Michael. Okay, so when you're five and ten, that's a pretty big age difference. But as you grow up, being five years apart is not a big age difference. As you guys grew up through the years, were you guys close? Oh, yeah. I I did my thing because he was younger. Sure. But, you know, he was there and I watched him play with his cars and his Hot Wheels, ride his bike. And And then into into adult life once you guys are both adults and you're both out of the house doing your own things were you guys a close brother and sister did you guys call each other did you visit stop by you know mom's house did you see each other often we did often on we had a lot of fourth of july get togethers at his house all of us and we kind of had a like a little fourth of july firecracker fight one year and it it was dangerous but i remember <laughs> we ha- we had a blast right i mean he started throwing fireworks at us and fire the firecrackers i mean there's a lot of memories there yeah absolutely I, I 
I can hear how much you cherish those memories and and how much you you love to think about your brother. And that's what makes this next statement kind of difficult, and, and I completely understand that. And for the folks out there, it's important to note that nobody ever deserves what happened to Michael. But as oftentimes happens through the years, people make decisions, make choices, and, and some of them are bad choices. And so it's important to have a full and total picture of who we're looking at and what we're looking at. And at some point, your brother Michael developed a drug habit. And a lot of people will immediately point and say, well, this has something to do with that. But I note that because in this situation, your brother had cleaned himself up. So yes, at some point in his life, he battled addiction. But towards the end of his life, towards the time when this event occurred, he was doing better. Talk to us about that. Well, being around him, I could tell when he was using and when he wasn't. He did shy away from the family and just didn't come around us as much or his son. Um, and that that was a big sign right there because he loved his son, but when he used, he wouldn't go around him. And how I could tell that he cleaned up is he had just recently moved back with my mom and he was helping my mom out, fixing things around the house. And he was having his son come out and they were spending a lot of time together. And that's a huge, huge reason why I know that he was cleaning up. Absolutely. And he had cleaned himself up. I'm glad that you guys were aware of that. I'm glad he was making those changes. Moving along, there came a point on May 20th, 2019, that a story broke on the Star Press just about 10 a.m. on the 20th. And I apologize in advance, but the headline reads, A body discovered at Muncie Sanitary District's Waste Water Treatment plant. And I, I, I saw the headline before I read the article and I, I got busy and I kept thinking, I, I'm a former police officer and so I, I know different things that they do and I know when, when headlines come out like that, I, I kind of know what the article's going to look like because I know what course of action the police have to take and how they're looking at it when there is a body that's found or an unattended death like that. I know kind of the process of the investigation that is in place. And I was kind of shocked by the headline, but I immediately just assumed that it was an employee that was found there. Because, keep in mind, I hadn't read the article yet. And when I was able to read the story later in the day, they had updated the story, and um, it just basically doesn't have any information. It, it says, you know, police on Monday were investigating the discovery of an unidentified man's body at the wastewater treatment plant, and that city police say that the body was discovered on a conveyor belt inside the plant. And that was the first thing that I read, and I thought, wait a minute, this this is not an employee. That's That was the first thing that went off in my mind. And then it talks about the description of the deceased male. So obviously there was no 
wallet on this person because they don't know who this person is. They're talking about tattoos and they're asking anyone with any information to please come forward. So at some point on the 20th, you became aware of this situation, but that you didn't know who or what this was. And you told me before we went on air that it wasn't from the paper. It was actually from social media. Yes. So when you're reading this on the 20th, you have no idea that this is Michael. No, I had no idea. I never thought thought in a million years that it would end up being my brother. And so when you're reading this on the 20th and not thinking anything about this really other than how horrible the story is, I mean, you're not thinking that this is your brother. I mean, I've got brothers and, I, you know, the first thought when I read this wasn't immediately, oh my God, could this be one of my brothers? You just don't think like that. So what's going through your mind when you read this? Well, my first thought was my heart goes out to the family yeah. I mean, because it never, ever crossed my mind that it would be my brother. I mean, I never even had no doubt of checking on him because I just never, ever crossed my mind. And I just remember reading it and, you know, it just touched me and I just was thinking about the family. And I remember reading it to my husband. Okay. You no, know, because when I read stuff like that, it bothers me. Sure. Right. This was the 20th of May, 2019. Now, jumping forward, you know that the last time anyone in your family saw your brother was just the day before this, May 19th, correct? Yes. Tell me a little mother. bit about that, what you know, about that about that last time that they saw each other. How was your brother? Was he upbeat? What, I mean, was he was he scared? Was he nervous? What? Tell me a little bit about that last time they saw each other. He was fine. My mom was feeding her horses, and he was out talking with their and everything was okay. I mean, there wasn't nothing out of the ordinary. Everything was fine. I mean, there was one other person that was with my brother at that time, and she was in the house, but my mom wasn't aware of the person because the family didn't like her. Okay. Well, that, you know, and... and so there was two normal. people that we know for sure that was that was last seen my brother alive. Okay, and so at some point, your mother leaves her home leaving your brother and this female there at her house. And when she returns home, your brother and the female are gone, correct? Yeah. Okay. And so now jumping backwards into the past on May 20th, 2019, you've read this article and it's kind of upsetting and unsettling just because of what it is, but you don't know it's your brother. So you've read it to your husband and it's kind of upset you, but you go on with life. Yes. What happens next? On May the 22nd, worst day of my life, um, the police come to my mom's work to show pictures of who they thought was my brother. My son works with my mom and he calls me and I come over and they show us pictures of him. At first they just show his tattoos and then of course we seen a picture of his face. And you know, when I first seen the picture, I mean, I thought in my mind it was my brother, but then I couldn't say for sure that it was my brother. Right. I mean, there's features of my brother's face and the nose. That's what told me yes. But we, neither one of us, none of us really wanted to say that that was him. So I sent them over to his ex-girlfriend, which I feel bad, but I knew that she would be the one to say, yes, that was him. And she did. Let me ask you this. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm doing this as uh, delicately as possible. Sometimes I, I, I've done notification of uh, loved ones passings uh, as a former law enforcement officer um, I've 
I've had the unlucky uh, position of of finding folks that have been deceased um, and being the first one on the, being the first one there, either in law enforcement or outside of law enforcement. I've been in this position many times, which I will gladly pass on to somebody else. But having experience being in the position that those law enforcement officers were at your mother's work, people react in different ways. Are you saying that you knew it was your brother, but in your mind you just didn't want it to be your brother, so your mind was trying to play tricks on yourself, or are you saying that you legitimately didn't know? And I ask that because both things happen, and there are legitimate reasons why both things happen. Like, for example, in this case again, being as delicate as I can be, because he had been in the water for a period of time, he may not have looked like he generally would. What What are you attributing what happened in this situation to? To me, he was swollen. Okay. To me, he looked like a person that was beat up, but they're saying that that wasn't okay. what happened. Okay. But that's what, when I looked at the picture, it was. And yes, I mean, I think in my mind, I knew it was him, but I yeah. just couldn't come out and say, yes, that was him. Right, right. Okay. And so but he with, did look different. Okay. And, but you recognize the tattoos. I mean, but anybody could have, you know, certain tattoos to say this or that. But, you know, I, I and I definitely understand where, where your, where your mind's at there. So when the, when the police are there, trying to make the identification are they saying hey this is the gentleman that was at the muncie sanitary district or, or what what are they get telling you guys as far as that goes are they what they're not telling you much or what what's going on they did tell us he was the one that was found at the okay. muncie sanitary district okay so and we so, knew that okay at some point the identification is made and you guys are are now aware and processing that this is your brother. And there's a lot that's going on there. You know, you are now grieving the loss of a family member. You're dealing with the sudden loss, which is different than, say, if it was a sickness or old age. And that's just for anybody. But on top of that, you're dealing with the fact that this is a criminal investigation, which means this is not the same thing as even a sudden death like a car wreck. So... I mean, the fact that this is, you know, ostensibly a murder investigation, what's going through your mind at this time, and what are the police telling you? They wasn't telling us a lot. Um, it was kind of hard because they only recommended us identifying his body by pictures. Right. I mean, that's kind of hard because we never actually got to see him. Nobody identified his body. Take your time. And they said that was due to the damage. And I don't know if it was because somebody threw him down in the sewer. And that's what all the damage was. But I only seen a picture of my brother. I never got to see him. Actually, okay. just the picture. Right. So the police investigation's going on at this point, And, you know, basically one day your brother was there and then the next he's not. But there's no information. And, yeah. you know, now you guys are left with a whole lot of questions and not a lot of answers. And, you know, in two months, it's going to be a year. And we're essentially the same place that we were on May 22nd of 2019. 
And anybody who has driven around Muncie or Delaware County in the last good little bit, you've probably seen the posters that you and your family have been putting up because you're trying to get information. You're trying to get this to the forefront of people's memory because you guys deserve answers and your brother deserves justice. We don't know how he came to his death. We don't know how he ended up where he ended up. And, you know, you deserve those answers. This is a mystery at this point. It is safe to say that he didn't go into the sewer system on his own accord or by himself. Exactly, and they have, they have already said that. Okay, that to me is a key element. So you're aware, and law enforcement is aware, that he did not go down in the sewer by himself. He, they told us that he was dead before he was put down into the sewer. Yep, okay, and that's my... All right. So that's I guess I was kind of walking around that. So so they did they did tell you that. And and that's that. that's generally pretty easy to determine when you're dealing with a death in and or around water. So and that is definitely a key factor here because it says a couple different things because when this first happened there were a lot of rumors floating around and that's why I wanted to go through the fact that he had cleaned himself up because people originally were saying well it was a drug overdose or this or that and that's fine if someone has a drug overdose you know they do that in their car or on the kitchen floor they don't drug overdose and then somehow end up in the sewer hole with the sewer lid being covered that's insane exactly it was not um it was not a drug overdose it did not come back as a drug overdose okay so yeah and at this point you know being being a year later you have the toxicology and yes. as far as that everything was good and so when you hear this you now know that he didn't lift the sewer lid, he didn't put the sewer lid back down, and for anyone who's ever carried just a person asleep or who's been knocked out, you know that you know a body dead weight is hard to carry. So now we're looking at the possibility of there being two or more people involved with this. And for the record, I want to state that his cause of death on his death certificate is listed as undetermined, correct? Yes. And basically what that means is through the autopsy, they don't know what caused Michael's death. Yes. And that's, uh, I want to say that's pretty uncommon, but it's not. It's, it's, it's more common. It, it would seem like today that would be really hard to not understand how a person died, but they are essentially saying they don't know why or how his heart stopped beating and he became deceased, essentially. And so at this point, 10, 11 months on, it is a mystery. And you guys, your family, are asking questions and asking the public to come forward and asking anybody with any information to please contact the police and let them know what they know, even however small that might be. And if you're listening to this and this sounds confusing and it sounds like there's not a lot of information here, it's because there's not. And that's what Teresa is asking for. That's what this family is currently asking for because they are in need 
of healing. And the only way that healing can start is by getting to the bottom of this. And Teresa, all you guys need are answers because a year on, you don't have the answers that you guys want or need. No, not completely have answers that we need or the person or persons that did this to my brother or not behind bars. Right. And that's what I want. Tell me a little bit about what steps you guys are taking to, you know, keep this out there because it's important. Obviously, in any type of murder, everyone's always heard 48 hours is the window that they want to try to get it solved in. And I'll tell you, locally, we're pretty good about that. We don't have a lot of cases that go unsolved. We don't have a lot of situations that people just don't have answers to. And it's because our local town, city, and county, and state law enforcement are really good when it comes to their jobs like this. And now I want to say, in most murders, in most cases like this, it's somebody that knew the victim, they're on scene when law enforcement get there, so it's pretty simple. You don't have situations like this every day. However, when they do occur, however tough, however difficult, however hard, they must be solved for justice to be served and for healing to begin. But in this situation, and you know, there are, there are a few others, but in this situation, we just don't really know and that's the whole point of this. So if you would, tell me what you guys are doing to try to, one, keep your brother's memory alive, but two, keep the information on this case hot. Keep it out in the public, keep it in front of the police, and keep the police going on it. What are you guys doing to try and keep this fresh in people's minds? Well, I call the detective quite often to keep make sure you know something's being done and what's being done and we communicate a lot i have got flyers made and the posters and i've been trying to hang them me and some of my family members which a lot of them has disappeared but i'll keep doing it and sure. i've contacted the news channels so it's been on news and then i keep sharing it on facebook that's interesting to me you know, you and I spoke back in August of last year, and we talked a little bit and have communicated on Facebook. But when we reconnected again here just recently, one of the things I had been noticing in the days and weeks around that was that the posters in some certain areas of town that you had put up were being ripped down. Not like they had blown down from the wind or not like someone had come through and taken the whole poster, but that the whole middle part of the poster where your brother's face is and the name and information had been ripped out. So the top part of the poster was still there and the bottom part of the poster was still there, but where you could see who it was and the name and what it was that had been ripped out, and that was very peculiar to me. What do you think's going on there? Well, there's a lot of guilty people out there, um, and they're just ripping my posters down. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I have an idea of what area it's in, and I have an idea of what I think that happened to my brother. 
And just the information that I've gathered. Is that something you're holding back, or is that something that you want to talk about? I will share some of it. Okay, I just, sure. Just yeah. and please do, please do whatever, whatever information that you and law enforcement have to. You know, I, I want, I want exactly. you to be completely in control of that. So, oh, I won't share anything that I sure. think that I shouldn't share. But Absolutely, I, I'm not going to hold back everything because I know what I feel, and I know that somebody murdered my brother. So tell so me, tell is, me what you think. I think that my brother was set up. I don't know what reason why they would have done it. I think it's going to be a friend, and I think they killed my brother. And I think there was other people there that may have just seen it but wasn't involved. And I think there's more than one person that killed him. And that's just what I feel right now. Sure. You said that you feel like he was set up. Do you know what would have led to that? What would have led to him being set up? I think that they had him come over to their house, him not knowing that okay. this was going to happen is sure. what I think. So, and I think it's going to be a friend of his. And do you think that's because he... I mean, did he have a problem with anyone? Or, I mean, why would someone want to set him up? It could be over a girl. Okay. That's the only thing right now that I can really think about. Sure. Why somebody would do it. I, I do. mean, there, it could be different reasons. I don't know. That's just the only thing I could think of. Because, I mean, he was well-liked. Sure. I, I don't know why somebody would do something like that to somebody. I honestly don't. Absolutely. This is already out there, so I will bring this up. There is a house that has, they had a search warrant for, and they did search the house. Okay, and is, has that been recently? Has that been a while back? It's Do you know when that happened? In, I, I think it was in November. Okay. November wow. or early December. Okay, all right. So, and and you're still stay in contact with the law enforcement, and, yes. you know, that's yes. something you'll do until they solve this. Yes, I will not, I will not stop. I will not stop until... Somebody pays for what they've done to my brother. Absolutely. There, there is a reward for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of person or persons responsible for the death of Michael Coates, and that reward at this time is $2,000. Um, the family has put up 1000 I wish it was more. And then Crime Stoppers has put up to 1000 Sure. Okay. All right. So at this time, you know, and if, if I'm sure if, if anybody wants to help add to that cause, I'm sure that you guys could work something out. The police, Crime Stoppers could work something out. Um, if anyone has information on this, they are to call the Muncie Police at 765-747-4868 or call Crime Stoppers at 765-246-4050. I will put those numbers in the description of this podcast. And yes. so we're we're quickly running out of time here, but I, I, I and I thank you for coming on and thank you for talking with me. And I definitely want to do what I can to help get this out there and to keep help keep uh, this going and keep it in front of folks' eyes because that's the thing is there there are people out there. Uh, yes. That no. Somebody out there knows something, um, and I just don't understand why they won't come and tell. And if anybody has any from information, if they just like seen my brother at, in between any of that time, you know, I would love for them to come and they can message me or go to the detective because it'd be nice to know. Just just if they just seen him, 
between that time. Yeah, you know, any, or any information that they want to give. Let's set that time frame up here. About what time would your mother have left her house? I'm sure you guys have talked about this. So what would have been about, like, give me the time on the 19th. Just a ballpark, I'm sure, you know. Um, uh, probably around 11 a.m. Okay. Between that and noon, so, she had left. Okay. So if someone had has seen Michael Coates between, say, noon on the 19th of May and 10 a.m. on the 20th of May, which is about a 24-hour period. And listen, there are folks out there that seen him during this time. Oh, yes. There are folks out there that was around him and by him and near him. And there, are, I, I, I will venture to say with the amount of people that listen to the podcast, there are people who are going to listen to this that... If you think back, and I know that's tough, because to the family, these dates and times stick out because of what's happened. But to regular people that weren't really necessarily affected by this, it's hard to look back and say, okay, what was I doing and who was I around on a Thursday in August? Or, for example, May 20th or May 19th, 2019. That is that is difficult. But there are people that were around him and that did see him and that do have information. That's just a fact. And if you're listening to this and you were near around, if you were sitting next to him at Village Pantry, and you know, whatever, if you... Just any of that Any of this helpful. information would definitely be helpful and you can get it to... Uh, Teresa Dodd is on Facebook at Teresa Dave Dodd. Uh, you can find her there. You can definitely call the Muncie Police again at 765-747-4868 or call the Crime Stoppers at 765-286-4050. And I want to make this quick announcement because this does happen and I just want to make sure that this is on here. I always welcome anybody to call me for anything. If you have information pertaining to politics, if you have information pertaining to something I've ever talked about, please, please call me. And if you have information pertaining to this, you can call me. But look, folks, I'm not a detective. I'm not a police officer. I am not an attorney. And I am just conveying this story to the masses. I would prefer on this one for you to reach out to Teresa Dave Dodd on Facebook or to call the Muncie Police at 765-747-4867, or Crime Stoppers at 765-286-4050. Now, if you do call me or text me or email me, which you can do, all I'm going to do is pass that on to those folks that I just told you to reach out to. That's why I suggest just cutting out the middleman. But we do have people from time to time that will reach out with things that they should actually be calling the police or authorities on, and they will tell me, which is fine. I'm always here, and folks can always get in touch with me. But in this matter, since it's still an ongoing investigation, I'm not trying to play super sleuth here other than just trying to convey this story. Okay, so with that out of the way, now let me ask you, Teresa, is there anything else that you would like to mention before we start to wrap up? I do want to point out that when my brother was found, he was missing a lot of items. He was missing his driver's license. He was missing his hat, his shirt, his shoes, his socks, his phone. 
So he was found in just his pants and underwear. My brother didn't go out like that. And I don't think it happened at my mom's because his bed was made. So it's like he left and just never returned home. Absolutely. Um, so are the police pretty confident that those items weren't just lost in the sewer system? I mean, do we do we know about that well, or not? I talked with the Muncie um, Sanitary District. They have been really nice with helping me out uh-huh. and let me see where they had found my brother. And they told me that that stuff would have washed up there. Okay, so and nothing, nothing washed up, just him. Absolutely. Okay, very good. Any, anything else? I just wish that somebody would come forward and give us the answers that we need. Yeah. I know for a fact that there's people out there that knows what happened to my brother. I know that for a fact. And I just don't understand why they won't come forward, but I just ask you, please come forward. Yes. And I want to give you a little bit of hope here, and and I please don't get disheartened by the amount of time that I'm getting ready to say, but, you know, cases like this do get solved, and cold cases are solved all the time, and sometimes it takes longer than others. Hopefully today's the day. You never know. I mean, it could happen at any moment. But I very, very vividly recall... May 13th, 1993, when Teresa French was murdered in Muncie, Indiana. And it scared the hell out of me. I was a little kid, and it it scared me to death. And I recall that. And that was an unsolved murder for 16 years. Actually, when the individuals were arrested, who were responsible for that murder? I was a police officer at the time and working with the deputy prosecutor uh, kind of at the tail end of that investigation. And actually, when I switched from the police department to working for the prosecutor's office, it was the first real big case I worked on at the prosecutor's office. It was kind of interesting that that's one of the things I recall as a child that made me interested in law enforcement. But the point here is there were 16 years between the date of that crime and the arrest of those responsible and them being brought to justice. And now, I surely hope it doesn't take that long for your situation and your brother's case, but the point is, you can't ever give up hope because these cases can always be solved. And whether it be your brother's case or the French case or any other cold case, the pieces that are needed to put the puzzle together are out there. For Teresa French, those pieces were always there all those years. And it just takes being able to put those pieces in the right order and the right situations being able to line up for the facts to come out and the type of cases to be solved. And there are people out there right now, there are people that might even be listening to this podcast right now that know something, that have the missing link, that has the missing piece, that was with him, that saw something, that knows something. And I challenge you, get this off your chest, come clean, give this man some justice, and give this family some healing. That's all that we can ask. Teresa, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast and speaking with me and my audience. I want to thank you for recounting this horrible story. I want to offer to you my thoughts and my prayers. I want to give my thoughts and my prayers to your entire family. And I want you to know that I am thinking about you and that we are thinking about you and that we want people to share this podcast episode, get the story out, help 
open people's eyes and keep people thinking about this until justice is served. I want to let everybody know that Don Morse, I'm sure everybody knows him. Oh, yeah. Um, Ashley's been missing for six years, over yes. six years now. Well, he has invited us to walk in the parade with him. Um, oh, I cool. thank him for that. On, uh, so on, on March the 14th, yep. we'll be walking in the parade with Don for Ashley and for my brother and Great. all the missing and murdered yeah that's saint patrick's day parade in downtown yes. muncie and so you yes. are going to be walking with uh don morris and, and uh, his family yeah. absolutely that's 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 really good I'm, I'm glad uh don does a lot for uh his his daughter and he's he's yes. much like you guys looking for answers and uh he does a lot for people in situations like this, and so he's really a stand-up guy. He is definitely a friend of mine and a friend of the show. So we'll definitely be looking for you guys out there on Saturday, March 14th, 2020. That's the St. Patrick's Day Parade in downtown Muncie. That'll be a good time, and you guys will be walking for a good cause. So again, I want to say thank you, Teresa, for coming on and recounting your story and the story of your brother. I know it's not easy. It's it's never a fun task, but it's important to keep people in the frame of mind that this is still something that's going on, you still are needing answers, you're still needing help, and this is something that people have to understand that we have to keep out in the forefront so that this is never forgotten until justice is served so you guys can go on with the grieving process and the healing process. So again, thank you, Teresa, for coming on and talking with my audience and I. You are welcome any time. If there's ever any updated information or you ever have information that you need to get out or hopefully and when this case breaks and justice is served, I would love to have you back on then. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Teresa Dodd, and she was, again, speaking to us about her brother, Michael Coates, and his mysterious death. And again, just briefly, Michael Coates was found deceased at the Muncie Sanitary District Wastewater Treatment Facility. He had actually washed up on one of their conveyor belts which means he had been in the sewer, and police are aware of the fact that he didn't put himself in the sewer hole, which means someone had to have. He was found on May 20th, and he was last seen by his family in the late morning, early afternoon of May 19th, 2019. If you or anyone you know has information pertaining to Michael Coates, the last 24 hours of his life, how he got to the Muncie Sanitary District Wastewater Treatment Facility, or anything else pertaining to this, please call the Muncie City Police Department at 765 765- 747-4867 or Muncie Crime Stoppers at 765-286-4050. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a sad story. This is a sad situation. This is not like someone just passing away in your family. And, you know, that's always tragic. But here, this man's life was taken. 
his family have his body. They were able to bury him, but they don't know what happened. And in this case, justice needs to be served. And so we need to do what we can to assist with that. And I don't mean vigilante justice. I don't mean people taking things into their own hands. I simply mean keeping this story out there in the forefront, keeping this information going so that it might jog someone's memory. Maybe there's someone out there that knows something they don't even know that they know, meaning they saw something, but it just didn't make sense to them. And maybe by hearing this, they will finally understand. So please, please, please. This is more important to me than even the politics because this is talking about someone's death. This is talking about the healing process for an entire family. And this is talking about justice. There is a $2,000 reward for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for the death of Michael Coates. So again, share this episode. Share all of them, but definitely share this one. Also, be looking for Teresa Dodd and her family, along with Don Morris and his family, on Saturday, March 14th at the St. Patrick's Day Parade. And I will throw in, if anybody has any information on Ashley Morris, smallest please contact the same authorities could you imagine if your loved one was missing or if god forbid they were murdered and you just didn't have any clue you're listening to perception is reality i'm christopher h bilbury we'll be right back perception perception is reality reality perception is reality reality all right, I want to say a special thank you to Teresa Dodd for coming on the show today and giving us the story of her brother, Michael Coates. Please do her a favor, do her family a favor, and share this direct link. By word of mouth or social media, let everyone know that this is the show they will want to listen to. Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey can be found on all major podcast hosting sites as well as the home link of perception.fireside.fm. Remember, we must stay active and stay involved. And until Until next time, stay safe and God bless. You've been listening to Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey. Bilbrey. Tune in, like, and subscribe at perception.fireside.fm. Hook up on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Bilbrey318 and on Twitter at PISRBilbrey. Email khbilbrey at gmail.com or get off your butt and call the show at 765 546 9796. Till next time, remember, perception, perception is, is reality. Reality. This has been Perception is Reality with Christopher H. Bilbrey, where we aim for better government through citizen involvement.